Another day, another day, either spent in the future or 24 hours closer to it. As it stands, we're now 239 days away until our future year. Until then, we're at May 6th, 2021. And this is the time to learn a few new things in this sonic newsletter known as Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm known as Sean Tubbs, and admit that one segment in today's newsletter does expand the geographic parameters of the show's title. In today's edition, Charlottesville City Schools begin official consideration of names for Clark and Venable Elementary Schools. The Green Business Alliance launches on a mission to meet greenhouse gas reduction goals ahead of schedule. And legislation is signed in Christiansburg for an authority that will work towards creation of a new passenger rail station to make way for service to the New River Valley. Today's Patreon field shoutout is for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them that Lonnie Murray sent you. To begin today's installment, US 250 at Afton Mountain is still closed, three days after a rockfall began. There's no timetable for when the roadway might reopen. Here's a press release from the Virginia Department of Transportation. On Wednesday, rocks, soil, and debris continue to slide down the steep slope into the roadway. Geologists and engineers with the Virginia Department of Transportation are continuing their assessment of the site and the extent of the slide area. Then they can determine how to safely remove debris from the road as well as unstable material still on the slope above the road. The slope must also be stabilized before the road can be reopened to traffic. Stay tuned. 16 companies and nonprofits in the greater Charlottesville area have launched the creation of something called the Green Business Alliance as a way of providing leadership on the way toward meeting the community's goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Good morning. Good morning. Susan Cruz is the executive director of the Community Climate Collaborative, which goes by C3. This is the decade where we must act to prevent the most catastrophic impacts of climate change. Our nation, our commonwealth, and our communities have all set ambitious goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Yet we cannot reach those goals without working together in our homes, in our schools, and in our businesses. Cruz said C3 selected these businesses based on their past commitments to energy efficiency and a dedication to being bold. I am pleased to announce their commitment to reduce their collective greenhouse gas emissions by 45% by 2025. That is five years faster than the goals set by the city of Charlottesville and Albemarle County, and well ahead of the Commonwealth's goal to reach net zero by 2045. Cruz estimated that if they meet these goals, that will reduce 13,156 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent the group selected had provided three years worth of energy data and have agreed to continue submitting that information to C3 to audit the data going forward. 
One of the groups is CFA Institute, and Kelly Palmer was on hand to speak on their behalf. Palmer is the head of Global Inclusion and Diversity and Corporate Citizenship at CFA, and she remarked at being at an in-person event. This is the first time I've been in community in real life with other people in over a year, so that alone is a cause for celebration. Again. Palmer said CFA's mission is to be a worldwide leader, and participation in greenhouse gas reduction at its headquarters in Charlottesville is consistent. It is our mission, CFA Institute that is, to lead the investment profession globally by promoting the highest standards of ethics, education, and professional excellence for the ultimate benefit of society. Another member of the Green Business Alliance is Centara Martha Jefferson Hospital, which moved from the city of Charlottesville to Albemarle County nearly 10 years ago. Catherine Hughes is the executive director. We almost doubled our physical plant from approximately 300,000 square feet at our downtown location, which Kelly now resides in, a portion of, to 600,000 square feet approximately. And we were able to do so without increasing our energy consumption. And that came with a lot of work. Every decision as far as building the building was part of that. The Tiger Fuel Company may not be one of the first that would jump out to mind when you think of green businesses. But President Gordon Sutton is on board to prepare his firm for the future. Our business is in large part focused on the distribution of fossil fuels, which makes me somewhat of an outsider in this setting. I'm proud to tell you, however, that we have for years now been working on ways to reduce our carbon footprint. And one of the most compelling ways we have achieved that has been through embracing solar and installing solar arrays on our facilities. Sutton said Tiger Fuel was so satisfied with the results that they decided to get into the business. We have decided to completely immerse ourselves in the industry by acquiring a strong solar company with a national footprint but with roots right here in Virginia. That company is Alt Energy, which Sutton said has over 16 years of experience and has installed 428 megawatts of solar generation capacity across 10 different states. Sutton said he knows that reduction of greenhouse gases will require dramatic reductions in or cessation of the use of fossil fuels. The final Green Business Alliance member who spoke at the event was Liza Borchus, the president and CEO of Carter Myers Automotive. We all know that transportation is the largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. And as a part of this industry, we have a choice. We can put our head down, keep pushing forward, selling a lot of cars, and not be proud of what our industry is doing to contribute to our climate impact. Or we can pull up a chair to the table be a part of the conversation, and help find the strategic solutions that we all need for our future. Borsha said part of her company's role is to educate consumers about the benefits of alternative fuel vehicles. And this year, she and her staff helped push for Virginia legislation known as the Clean Cars Act, which directs the State Air Pollution Control Board to create a program for low emissions and no emissions vehicles. It was about this point in the recording that the wind began to become an issue. Governor Ralph Northam was also in attendance to watch as members of the Green Business Alliance received certificates 
indicating their participation in the program. Northam is in his last year as governor and said he has tried to get something done while in office. We've had these climate commissions in, in Virginia and we listened to the data and we, we sit at the meetings and say, well, we really need to get out there and take action. And then we really never have. And so the past few years, we have been able to work together and really understand what we're up against as a society. It was around this point that the wind really picked up. And I would be curious to know how much energy that would have generated. So we're going to wait until later in the program to hear more from Northam on the story from Christiansburg. The Charlottesville public school system has begun the process of evaluating the names of two elementary schools to see if they should be changed. On Monday, the School Naming Commission held a community forum with breakout sessions on the appropriateness of the current names of Clark Elementary School and Venable Elementary School. In all, there are 10 schools for the city to review, and the process will go from oldest to newest. Beth Baptist is Interim Director of Student Services and Achievement. Clark and Venable are our oldest schools, so those are the schools that we're starting We are not on a timeline for this project. We want to do it right. Committee member Phil Varner prepared information for attendees to consider before they split up into breakout groups. He said he began his research two years ago after watching a presentation from filmmaker Lorenzo Dickerson about the work that went to one of his films. Um, So he had done some work on, um, on researching um, uh, black schools uh, pre-segregation um, in Albemarle for his documentary, Albemarle's Black Classrooms. And sort of almost tangentially to that, uh, there was um, work in, um, or there was a, a bit in his presentation before the Albemarle School Board about Paul Kale, um, who previously had a elementary school named after him. What is now known as Mountain View Elementary had been named after Paul Kale, who served as superintendent of Albemarle Schools from 1947 to 1967, according to a September 29th article by Catherine Knott in the Daily Progress. Superintendent Matt Haas said at the time he wanted the school renamed because Kale did not act swiftly to fully integrate schools after the Brown versus Board of Education ruling in 1954. And that got me thinking, who are our elementary schools actually named for? And surprisingly, it was hard to find good information. Um, for many of the people who they're named after, I could, I could literally only find a sentence that described what they taught and where. Um, and uh, like Clark and Venable were famous in their own right, um, but kind of don't really have a, a very strong connection to the actual school system Varner said naming schools memorializes a person in the same way that putting up a statue memorializes a person. He said philanthropist Paul McIntyre, who donated Confederate statues, also played a role in naming Clark after George Rogers Clark, a Revolutionary War general who inherited several enslaved people as property. They were always done by whoever the dominant group was in Charlottesville, whoever held the power, and using these names to in, enforce and entrench their power. And I really wanted to see this devolve into letting the people who are actually affected by this 
people in Charlottesville, students, teachers, parents in the buildings um, make these decisions about what their school represents and who it's named for. To learn more about the names of the 10 Charlottesville school facilities, visit the website correctingthenarrative.org to learn more. To keep up with the school naming project, visit the page on the Charlottesville school system. There's a link in the newsletter. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. In this subscriber-supported public service announcement, over the course of the pandemic, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society has provided hours and hours of interviews, presentations, and discussions about interpretations and recollections of the past. All of this is available for you to watch for free on the Historical Society's YouTube channel. There's even an appearance by me talking about my work on Seavillepedia. Visit the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society's page on YouTube and let me know what you saw. There's a link in the newsletter. Three hours after being present in Albemarle at the launch of the Green Business Alliance yesterday, Governor Northam traveled southwest to Christiansburg to sign legislation authorizing the creation of a new authority to help build a new railway station to serve the New River Valley. Mike Barber is the mayor of the town of Christiansburg. The town of Christiansburg is proud to have been selected as the site for the future passenger rail station. We believe this station will meet many of the town's current goals and priorities in relation to transportation, connectivity, economic development, and promotion of regional tourism, not only in Christiansburg, but in the entire New River Valley. Barber said rail has played an important role in the history of Southwest Virginia, but the last passenger rail train traveled out of the community in 1979. In recent years, efforts have been underway to bring one back, and the goal is to eventually extend the Northeast Regional Service that terminates in Roanoke to Christiansburg. The Northeast Regional Service dates back to October 2009, when it was part of a three-year pilot project that has been wildly successful. Shannon Valentine is Virginia's Secretary of Transportation. And over the next 12 years, so much has changed. Virginia-sponsored rail has grown from one route to four, one train to six round trips, ridership from 125,000 to 971,000. Valentine said the route is one of the most profitable in the United States. The original cost for that three-year pilot was $17.5 million. The Northam administration has decided to try again with a major investment to give people a way to get around the state without driving. When we started three and a half years ago, we had a lot of discussions and said, you know, we really can't pave our way out of congestion across this great commonwealth, and we've got to look at other means of transportation. And, and so certainly rail and transit have been part of that. The creation of the new River Valley Passenger Rail Authority is just one of the many infrastructure improvements that will be required to get the trains there on time. Today, we are making a commitment to invest $257 million to create this vital connection between Southwest Virginia and other parts of the Commonwealth and beyond. And yes, while we're 
bringing rail to Blacksburg and Christiansburg. We're not finished, and we want to take it all the way out to Bristol to open up the Great Southwest. So I hope you all join in that endeavor. When regular passenger service eventually begins between Charlottesville and Richmond, it will do so on tracks owned now by the state of Virginia. Now the state is working to secure right-of-way in the western part of Virginia, where Norfolk Southern owns the lines to make sure that passenger and freight can coexist. Through the Western Rail Initiative, we'll acquire approximately 28.5 miles of the Virginia line from the Salem crossovers west of Roanoke to Merrimack and Christiansburg. We'll make improvements to the Roanoke yard and invest in infrastructure upgrades along the 2981 corridor to accommodate the new service. And up at the northern end of this line, we'll build a seven-mile sliding, siding from Noakesville to Calverton, creating a continuous two-track corridor for 22 miles from Manassas to Remington. Northam said a second daily train on the Northeast Regional Service between Roanoke and D.C.'s Union Station will begin in 2022. When improvements are completed in 2025, both trains will be extended to the New River Valley. Sixth District Congressman Morgan Griffith was also present at the signing of the legislation. He said he had initially been skeptical of the idea, but came around when he saw ridership numbers continue to grow. I have to confess, anybody who studies the record would know, that I, I missed the train in Lynchburg, and I missed the train in Roanoke. So I wanted to make sure I got on in Christiansburg. Delegate Chris Hurst of the 12th House District was the patron of legislation that created the authority. He credited the group New River Valley Passenger Rail for their work in moving the idea from concept to an official entity that can now work to have the station in place when it's needed. Hurst is also a member of an advisory board overseeing improvements on Interstate 81. That includes some funding for the Western Rail Initiative. We are really addressing things up and down the entire Interstate 81 corridor with different modes of transportation. Uh, it was also mentioned in our 80, 81 Advisory Committee the other week uh, that we are going to be increasing uh, capacity for the Virginia Breeze bus system, which has been incredibly popular for us along the 81 corridor. We are doing amazing things in the New River Valley. Later this month, Amtrak is expected to lift their restrictions on capacity on their trains. And I'd be curious to know, are you planning a train trip sometime in the future? Is that something you would have thought was possible back in 2009? Where would you like to go on rail? I'd really like to know, so please let me know. Drop me a line. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for May 6th, 2021. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. And if you're a new listener, I really do appreciate it. This show is for free, but I do uh, put here at the end that if you would like to help me financially continue to exist and do this show, uh, there's a way to fund that. Um, there, You can either make a donation through Patreon, which supports a lot of the general research. You can make a subscription through Substack, which will be matched by Ting, um, if you do that, which would be great. But what that does is that supports the newsletter. All of this together comes underneath the entity Town Crier Productions as I seek to continue doing this for the rest of this year and hopefully well into beyond. 
uh, it's kind of inspirational to hear about planning. And if you look back at a lot of this, uh, a, a lot of this work that you're hearing is the result of plans that I've been making for my entire life. Uh, my first ever newspaper job was in Christiansburg. Uh, which was kind of funny. That's the story for another day. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you very much for listening. Send this on to somebody else. Be safe out there and happy spring. Spring.